Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast of the Sunday morning sermons of the Bullard Church of Christ in Bullard, Texas. We hope you'll be blessed, challenged, and encouraged by today's lesson. Good morning. It's so wonderful to be together this morning. We appreciate and are thankful for your presence with us this morning. Thank you for choosing to be here in this cold weather. You probably woke up and thought, boy, the last thing I want to do is get out of bed, but you chose to make an investment in your spiritual life and in the life, the spiritual life of those around you as we come together and encourage one another to live for God. And we're very thankful and appreciative for those who are visiting. We want you to know you're special to us. You mean a lot to us, and we're always here for you to serve you at any time. Now, children, today, we haven't done this in a while, is Sermon Snack Sunday. And so what you need to do is listen to the sermon well. And uh, after worship services come up and you tell me uh, one thing that you learned from the sermon. And I'll tell you what, I am always very impressed by the things that the children say that they learn. They don't just say it was from First Peter. They always say some really big point, something really important that they learned, and I'm always impressed uh, with the children. And so we are doing that today. So children, listen carefully and be ready to do that. You know, when we lived in our first home, uh, after a while, this was in Abilene, after a while, we had three sweet little girls in one bedroom. And so we got a triple bunk bed that we were going to put all the girls in. We had another room where we had to put a boy in there. And so we, had, we, we looked for a triple bunk bed. We thought that would help uh, maximize the space in the room so that they, we could fit the beds in there and, and all that. So we found one and ordered it, and then when it came in, how do you think it arrived? It didn't arrive put together. They don't send it to you put together. It came in, I don't remember, it came in a few boxes at least. That was a lot of parts. And I enjoy putting stuff like that together. Malia helped me build it. We had a good time doing it, but when you... When we got the beds, it, we had the beds. There was a triple bunk bed right there in the boxes, but it wasn't doing anyone any good until what? Until we put it together, right? And then it became what it was supposed to be, what it was intended to be, what it was made to be. So until we opened the boxes and followed the instructions and built this triple bunk bed, it was not going to become what it was intended to be. The same is true in our Christian lives. When we become Christians, when we obey the gospel, we're united with Christ in baptism, our sins are forgiven, and we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're saved, we're Christians, but we're not yet all that God intends for us to be. Why? Because we need to grow spiritually. There's a lot of spiritual maturing that needs to take place. And that's okay. That's why we refer to new Christians as, as babes in Christ. And so we're not yet all that God 
wants us to be. So there's always this becoming that God uh, wants for us to be who He would have us to be. And Peter calls Christians, in both of his letters here, he calls Christians to be all that God has made us to be, that He intends us to be. And Peter does it through calling us to lives of holiness, to live holy lives, lives that, that are set aside for God's use, for God's service, and for God's glory. To live holy lives, lives that are godly and righteous. Now in 1 Peter chapter 2, where we pick up in our series, Peter continues his thoughts on holiness, and he's applying it here in chapter 2 to our, our thinking and our behavior, our thinking and our conduct. In other words, he's going to help us understand that holiness is something that's real in our everyday lives. And and holiness uh, is both a way of thinking and a way of behaving. Holiness is not just an abstract thing out there. It's something that's vague and intangible. Holiness is what we do in every part of our lives. You see, there should be no corner of the Christian's life that is kept from holiness. Every part of our life is supposed to be covered and absorbed and soaked in with holiness because we are called to holiness with all of our lives, not just part of our lives, not just pieces and not just some days and some activities and some events, but in every bit of our lives we're called to holiness. So look with me at verses 1 and 2 of chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2. Paul writes, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into your salvation. See, Peter wrote in chapter 1 that when you become a Christian, you become, you're born again of imperishable seed. And he's using the words of born again like Jesus used in John chapter 3. And he's, he's referring to, like Paul talked about in Romans 6, uh, being born again and wa- raised to walk in newness of life when we die with Christ in the waters of baptism. We're buried with Him like He was buried. Then we're raised to walk in newness of life. Peter says it the same things in a different way, but it's a clear reference to baptism. And he's saying, when you become a Christian, your lives are changed. You are changed. Your existence has been changed. When you're a Christian, you are to change your cravings. You're supposed to change your cravings. When Peter uses this word, to long for. It's a strong word, and it means to crave. Think about that craving you've had before, maybe for that Diet Coke or for that ice cream. Maybe you just had a craving to blow your diet and all your rules on the weekend and get a hamburger and pizza and Sunday and go back for more, right? Those cravings that you have. You just have a craving to just go and and cut loose and enjoy yourself. 
Think about those things. And he's using this strong word like when an infant just craves for milk, craves for that nourishment from their mother. And he's saying that's what it means to strain after, to desire greatly. And he's saying that when you become a Christian, your cravings, the things you greatly desire, the things you strain for are supposed to change. Ask yourself, which one of these are you feeding? Which one of these are you nourishing? Your flesh, the passions of your flesh, or your spiritual life? Which one are you feeding by your thinking and your behavior? Are you feeding the passions of your flesh, the desires of your flesh, the cravings of your sinful nature? By giving in to those and doing the things that the sinful flesh wants to do? I'm not talking about eating ice cream, but I'm talking about the sinful nature of the flesh. Is that what you're feeding or are you feeding your spiritual life? And he tells us how to feed ourselves, to nourish ourselves with the Word of God. The pure spiritual milk of the Word and not the deceitful desires of the sinful flesh, but to feed ourselves with pure spiritual milk. That's what we should be feeding ourselves. And you see, we can't grow spiritually if we're not feeding ourselves spiritually. Just like that baby isn't going to grow to be healthy and not going to be nourished properly. And we won't be nourished properly if we don't feed ourselves properly. See, when we feed ourselves Junk only. And when we don't feed a baby like they're supposed to be fed, they're not properly nourished and they don't grow properly. They're sickly. And the same is true with our spiritual lives. When we don't feed our spiritual lives the way we're supposed to, on the spiritual milk of the Word, then we're not growing properly. We're sickly, sick uh, uh, Christians who are not healthy and strong like God has called us to be. And we can't live the holy lives He's called us to live if we're not being nourished on the pure spiritual milk of the Word. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And who did he tell that to? He told that to Satan himself, didn't he? When he himself was, was starving to death, when he himself was out in the desert facing all those temptations by Satan, and he craved, his body craved for food, for nourishment. And he told Satan... Man shall not live by bread alone. He quoted the Old Testament, but by every word that lit, proceeds from the mouth of God. Now turn with me to look at verse 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. Paul writes, after he tells us about straining after, longing for the pure spiritual milk of the Word, to, to no longer crave the things of the old self, Instead, crave the things of God. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see what Peter is telling us? Peter is telling us who we are 
and how we're supposed to live. Peter's giving us our identity here. He's reminding us as Christians, here's who you are. You used to not be this. You used to not even have access to this, to being God's people. And now this is who you are in Christ. You're God's chosen race. You're God's royal priesthood. You're God's holy nation. You're God's own possession. And we have to ask, well, why? Why would God allow this? Why would God want us? Why do we have the status that we have as Christians? And Peter tells us, because here's how you're supposed to live. You're supposed to live in a way that proclaims the goodness of God. That's how Christians are supposed to live. My life is supposed to be a life that proclaims the goodness and excellencies of God. Is that how your life is being lived? Is that what is being proclaimed from your life? Is that what people see when they look at your online presence on your different platforms, when they're around you at work, when they're around you at home, when they're around you in different places? Is that what is being proclaimed from our lives? We need to ask ourselves, what are other people seeing? What, what's coming out of me? What messages are being sent from me in every different area of my life? And why is it that we should proclaim God's goodness? It's because He has saved us. He's brought us out of the darkness of sin and into the light of His salvation. And because He saved us, we say, I live the rest of my life to live holy, set apart for Him, righteously to proclaim the goodness of God because He saved me. And I'll never stop being thankful for that. That's why He calls us to crave the things of God instead of the things of this world. Now then, in verses 11 and 12, in light of who we are and what God has done for us, Paul tells, Peter tells us this. Look at verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, because this world is not our home, because we're foreigners here, this, this is not where our citizenship is. He says, because of that, abstain from the sinful things of this world. You ever been somewhere and been a foreigner? You've been in a new place? Maybe you've been in a new country visiting for a new time, uh, for the first time. Maybe you've traveled for the first time to a new city. Maybe you've been to uh, a new school or the first time you go to go off to college or you just go to a mall in another town and you have no idea where you are or just go visit someone in the hospital and Everything looks the same, doesn't it? The hospitals are like a twilight zone. You have no idea where you are. You walk around until you see an exit sign, right? And then you try to find your way out. Because you have no idea you're a foreigner there, right? When you go off to college, they have signs everywhere, but you still have no idea where you are. You don't know where the other building is or your class is. You can't find your way to the cafeteria. And it seems like no one else knows where they're going either. 
and you go to a mall, you don't know where the stores are, you don't know where the bathroom is. But once you get the lay of the land in all of these different places, and you've been there before, and you've walked around, then you know what, what, where everything is. But Paul is saying that you're a foreigner in this land. In other words, it's, you're not supposed to be accustomed to it here. It's supposed to be foreign to you. And you're not supposed to partake of the sinful things of this land that you're in. You're supposed to abstain from them because this isn't your home. This is not where you live. This is a temporary life. And there are some things in this land, in this place, that you need to leave alone. Because you're not supposed to partake in those things. And he's urging us, he's telling us, abstain from those things. But that's hard to do, isn't it? When you visit a new place, when you visit a new store, you just want to touch everything and pick it up and look at it, right? And he's saying there's things you need to keep from. You need to keep away from this, this word abstain that Peter uses. It means to not surrender to. It means to keep away from. And he's talking about the sinful desires of the flesh. But Peter says, I understand. I know what it's like. I know that these sinful desires that I'm telling you to abstain from, he says, I know they wage war against your soul. I know that right now there is a battle for your soul and the sinful desires of the flesh are fighting to win your soul over. Do you see that? And he's saying you've got to keep away from those. You've got to not surrender to the things of the flesh because they will take your soul from you. And your soul is supposed to be set apart for God's use, uh, waiting for its eternal home in heaven. He says there's a fight you've got to fight. And so ask yourself this, what are those sinful passions that wage against your soul? What are those things that are battling for your soul? What are the things that you're at war with or should be at war with in your spiritual life? that you should uh, keep away from. You need to quit grabbing and, and handling and having anything to do with, and, 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 and you need to no longer surrender to those things. What are those things that, in your life that you need to fight against? See, Peter reminds us there is a war for our soul. And God has saved our soul when we become a Christian. But Satan wants it back, doesn't he? And he'll do everything he can. He'll use everything in this life that he can to take it away from you. Paul, Peter says we need to think about those passions of, this, of the flesh because they war against those souls. So what is he saying? He's saying that you need to abstain. What does that tell you? If he tells you to abstain from them, what is that telling you? He's telling you you can abstain from that thing. He's saying, you are able to leave that alone. See, God would not have inspired and guided Peter to write that verse in Scripture if it were not possible for you to abstain from those things. 
And what does that give us? That gives us hope and that gives us empowerment and that lets us know we can have confidence that I am capable of no longer doing that thing, of no longer having anything to do with that sinful uh, passion of the flesh, whatever it might be. That lets you know that you can abstain from sexual immorality. You think you can't and you think I've been defeated. I just have given up. And Peter says, no, you can keep away from sexual immorality. You are able to abstain from pornography. You can abstain from alcohol. You can stop cussing. You can stop and abstain from materialism. And that's a big one, isn't it? The, the, the lust of the flesh and the eye, that is, we want so, we just crave for more material things, don't we? And Peter says, you can abstain from those things, from the things of the world, whatever it is that is going to war against your soul. He says, you're capable of fighting against it and leaving it alone. Now, how am I going to do that? We back up and we see He's already told us we need to be nourishing our lives on the pure spiritual milk of the Word. So if I look over here and I'm losing the battle against the things that are warring against my soul, I need to ask myself, what is nourishing me? What am I feeding myself that's prevent or not feeding myself that's preventing me from going to war and winning? That lets me know I may not be nourishing my spiritual life on the Word of God and the worship of God. And I need more and more of that if I want to face the battle over here and be victorious. Do you see that? Peter encourages us and gives us confidence that we can do it. You see, holiness is not an abstract thought. It's how we live in the real moments of our lives, in the day-to-day moments of our lives. And that's how you live for God. That's how you live as His chosen people, His royal priesthood, His holy nation, His own possession, because holiness is not hidden from any part of our lives. It's in the moment-to-moment daily areas in our life. Now look at verses 13 through 20. There's two other areas that Peter looks at and addresses Christians, calls Christians to holiness. And in our application today and the way we would look at this today, it would be as citizens and as employees. Now he's talking about a particular context When he writes, when we would adapt that more to employees, uh, he, in his context, is even talking about people who were slaves at the time. You see, Peter says, first of all, that Christians are to be good citizens. We are to contribute to a lawful society. Most laws are for the betterment of humanity. Not stealing, uh, doing good, not uh, you know, doing things that harm others. We are supposed to be known as people who are good citizens and contribute to the good of society. We are good and decent people. 
We are supposed to live like that. We're supposed to show honor to everyone. And he says even honor the emperor. Do you know who the emperor was when Peter wrote these words? It was the evil emperor Nero. And yet he tells them, honor everyone. And then at the end, he says, love the brotherhood. And then he says, oh yeah, honor the emperor. As if he thought, you know what, someone's going to think, yeah, surely not Nero though. And he says, oh yeah, even honor the emperor. Now he's not saying you do things that are wrong and you obey them when they tell you to uh, uh, do something that violates God's word. In fact, it's Peter in Acts chapter 5 that we're studying on Wednesdays in verse 29 where they tell him, uh, don't you all go preach and teach about Jesus anymore. What does Peter say? He says we must obey God rather than men. But generally speaking, he's saying you need to obey the laws of the land. You don't have the freedom just because you're a Christian to live a lawless life. Throughout the ages, Christians have had to navigate all kinds of governments and all kinds of civilizations, haven't they? And yet all throughout, all throughout history, Christians have done that. And they've been in, in places where uh, the government, where those in power have hated Christians and tremendously persecuted Christians. And Christians have lived life in places and times when uh, uh, government and powers were friendly to Christianity. And in every case, Christians have had to learn how to live holy lives wherever they find themselves. Wherever we find ourselves in where we live geographically or where we work, we are to figure out how to live holy lives that bring glory and honor to God. You see, Christians, when we work at our jobs, we're supposed to work as servants of God. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Do all to the glory of God. Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, 5, bond servants, talking about servants and slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. See, when we work in our jobs in that way, we bring glory to God and we prevent shame and reproach from being brought on to the church and to the gospel. And that's our goal. Our goal is not for, for our satisfaction and, and self-fulfillment and feeling so good and comfortable and safe and all of that. Our goal is for the glory of God and the, the, the glory of the gospel. See, you may not like everyone you work with. You may not like your supervisor. You may have a terrible person as a supervisor. You may have somebody who's done you wrong in the workplace. And you, you may work with some really ungodly people. And it's a very difficult work environment. And that's where you are. Now, thankfully, we live in a place where we can, we can look for another job. Not everybody is in that kind of situation, are they? But wherever we find ourself, ourselves, Peter calls us to live holy and godly lives. Now, more specifically on Peter's subject of addressing, uh, in their context, addressing someone who was a slave in their time. See, that's a whole nother level, isn't it? That's a whole nother level. And so that, that makes us think, okay, well, I just go to my job and have to deal with some difficulties. What about the person that Peter's writing to who was a slave in their time? 
And Peter is saying that when he wrote this, you see, Christians were a small, powerless minority where they lived. They didn't have political power. They were not mighty uh, in, in, as an army or in politics or great influence, social power. You see, there was no hope for the Christians to change anything in society on a political or social level like that. They, they couldn't change that. There was no way they could affect that except by living as Christians and proclaiming the gospel and teaching more people about the kingdom of God. That was all they could do. So they found themselves in the culture that they were in. And they had to figure out, how do I live life in whatever situation I find myself? And Peter says, whatever that might be, you live holy and godly lives. See, in the New Testament, this, this is, in the New Testament, the question is how a person can live as a follower of Jesus in their culture, in their setting even when slavery existed, because the Christian had no way of changing that in their world. They, they just had to live holy lives wherever they were as they looked up and waited for Jesus to return and for Him to make all the wrongs right. They knew that there was a heavenly home and that one day He would right all wrongs. And if Peter called slaves to live for God in their situation, what does that say to us? That means that I can live for God in my situation in 2024. If they could, then I can, no matter what my circumstance is. Now look at this as we wrap up in verses 21 through 25. Look what Peter does. For the person thinking, yeah, but Peter, you don't know my situation. To the, the person who would have been a slave who heard those, those words, he said, but Peter, you don't understand what it's like. You don't know what my situation is like. Peter lifts up Jesus as our example, doesn't he? And he lifts up Jesus as our hope. And he says there in verse 21, for to this you have been called because Christ, what? Also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself, and this is what he calls us to do, continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. In other words, God is the righteous judge. And one day God is going to judge everything and he's going to find me faithful and He's going to reward me with my heavenly home. Verse 24, Peter reminds us of Jesus. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We're reminded of the suffering that Jesus suffered. And it makes us think about our suffering. Jesus suffered beyond what any, any of us ever have. He suffered beyond what any other person did because not only did He suffer 
uh, the torture and the crucifixion and everything that came with that. He suffered all of our sins being put on Him. He suffered the shame and reproach. He suffered the wrath of God as He hung there in absolute pain beyond understanding. And He did that for us. And you see, it's by His physical wounds that He suffered that our spiritual lives are able to be healed. We can have spiritual healing because of His physical suffering, His wounds provide us eternal healing. How did He save us? He took on our sins on Himself on the cross. Now why did He do that? He did it so we would no longer live for sin. No longer live to sin. That sin He tells us to abstain. He's saying, I made a way for you to no longer do that. You don't have to be in that darkness anymore. I'm going to save you out of that. And now we can live to righteousness. What does that mean? to live godly lives, to live holy lives, to live in service to God in a way that glorifies Him. See, we're saved by His wounds. Paul said that we're raised to walk in newness of life. And that's what Jesus does for us when we turn to Him. See, holiness is a mindset and a lifestyle. It's not something that's just out there. It's not a feel-good thing. It's not just something we think about when we're at church. Holiness is a mindset. It's how we think. It's how we view the world. It's how we view our life. And it's a lifestyle. It's the way we behave. It's the way we live. It's the choices that we make. The words that we say. The thoughts that we think. The things we do. That's holiness. And that's what Peter calls us to. Has your mindset and your lifestyle been holy? Have you been living your life set apart for God, for His service and His glory? Maybe you need prayers for strength to abstain from the things of this world that Peter calls us to leave, leave alone. And maybe you need prayers for strength to live that holy life that you really want to live. You want to break through and do that. And you need that extra encouragement. That's what this church family is for. We're not here to judge you if you ask for prayers. We're here to surround you in encouragement and lift you up and help you. That's what this is for. Maybe you're not a Christian yet. And you're ready to turn things around in your life. But guess what? You can't do it on your own. You can't save yourself from the darkness of this world. Only Jesus can. And putting your faith in Him, surrendering to Him being united with Him in baptism. If we can help you this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing. We thank you again for listening today. If we can answer any questions for you or serve you in some way, please reach out to us. You can find our contact information and more on our website at bullardchurchofchrist.com. If this lesson has helped you, please rate our podcast and share it so more people can hear the Word of God. And please, come visit as soon as you can. We meet on Sundays for class at 9 a.m., worship at 10 a.m., evening worship at 5, and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. God bless you.